Last week we uh, talked a whole lot about uh, some things that are involved in, in reaching people who are not Christian for, the, for Christ and for the salvation of their own soul. Uh, we talked about methods that we have used in the past and that other congregations have used and, and methods that really don't work as well now as, as they did then and for various reasons and we discussed those reasons. What I'd like to do is continue that discussion with you and, and to start it, uh, I want to read just a body of scriptures and really not make any comments. And then after I read them, make some comments, but I'd, I'd like to read them with the idea of you just letting the, the, the passages, the weight of the passage themselves take place uh, in your mind. And we'll go back and discuss it. And, and what we're leading up to is what really we should be talking to people about. Uh, we talk about reaching individuals for Christ, about uh, changing their lives for the better, affecting their families, affecting our community. What really uh, we should be talking about and where really the New Testament puts its emphasis. In fact, without this, there is no New Testament. Uh, this is the, the New Testament. I'm starting first in Matthew, the 16th chapter, beginning with verse 13. If you have your Bibles and, and want to turn there. We're all familiar with this passage. I want you to think where the emphasis is. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. On this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Okay, come on over to the 17th chapter. 17th chapter of Matthew. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground terrified. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Get up, don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. I'm over in 1 John. 1 John, 1 chapter, first seven verses. 
that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message that we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Okay, now 1 John 2, 22 through 25. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. Okay, now 1 John 4, 1 through 3. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. All right, 1 John 5. 1 John 5, 1 through 13. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God to obey his commands, and his command is not burdensome. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is a victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. It is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, the blood, and the three are in agreement. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it's the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he's not believed the testimony that God has given about his Son. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. This life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. 
I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Second John, beginning with verse 7. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what you've worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your house and welcome him. Anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. Okay, I'm back in Matthew now where we started in the 16th chapter where Peter has recognized this great truth. Uh, at this time, uh, uh, Jesus has been wandering around teaching, performing miracles, and everybody's trying to figure out who he is. Now, on the passage we read, and we all know we can multiply those passages, what is the subject of all those passages? Jesus. Uh, what is the subject of the New Testament? What happens to the New Testament when you remove Jesus from it? John finishes his gospel by saying that many other miracles did Jesus do. But these are written that you might believe. John says the, work, the world wouldn't even contain the books that need to be written about Jesus. Matthew starts off with Abraham and ends with Jesus. Stops right there. Uh, the culmination of all God's promises end in Jesus. John says the law was given by Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Luke begins with the announcing of John concerning Jesus. Takes us to the genealogy of Jesus. Goes back to Adam. The promise made that a seed would come from woman. And traces a lineage all the way down. And he winds up with Jesus. All four gospels end with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. The book of Acts that we're in the process of studying on Wednesday, from beginning to end, the emphasis is one subject, and that's Jesus. What is the church without Jesus? What is the kingdom without Jesus? There's no need for it, is it? It's nothing. The letters are written concerning uh, Jesus. You have Paul's letters and just about everything he says revolves around this principle. Uh, he speaks of the resurrection of Christ. He says that if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is vain. You're still in your sins. Uh, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then let's just go out and eat a drink for tomorrow we die. In other words, Paul says this business of sacrifice, uh, willingness to put your life on the line, doing without all that you're in the process of doing through the church, if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, let's just go out and party and have a good time because all you've got here is here and then you're, you're going to die. You, you cannot imagine a person working any harder than the Apostle Paul did or, or any human being giving any more themselves to a cause than the Apostle Paul. And yet Paul makes it very simple. If you turn over to 1 Corinthians 15, in letting you understand what the motivating force was in his life. I mean, what in the world can cause a man 
to literally give his entire life in service of something else. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15 and verses 9 and 10, I am the least of the apostles, do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than them all, than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me, or with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you believe. And so Paul says, I work harder than everybody. I outworked all the other apostles. What is the motivating force? The grace of God. What is the grace of God? The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. The law was given by Moses, grace and truth uh, through Jesus Christ. One of the mistakes that, that I think that I, we've made in, in, in times past, one that I have made and I ste stepped in, we talked last week about reaching people and, and methods of you know, reaching people. We talked about the importance of our life, uh, the importance of study, the importance of, of getting this information in the minds of, of other people. There has been a tendency in the past sometimes to, to think of reaching people from the standpoint of inviting them to the church or talking about the church. And there's no question that uh, the church has its place, doesn't it? I mean, that's why Christ come, to die for and purchase. And we're to represent him in, in the world. But what is the good news? If What are we to be taking to the individuals out there? according to what we have here. What was Paul taking? Jesus. Taking Jesus. You see, the, the, the church is a, a group of imperfect people. Um, we're comparable uh, to a one, I forget who I read this from, but the church in many ways is as comparable to a, to a hospital. Uh, people that have acknowledged they're sick, and they've gone to the hospital for a cure. And of course, it's the doctor and the medicine that, and they're taking the medicine. And, but they admit that they're not healthy. Nobody's in the hospital that's healthy, are they? Uh, you're there because you're, you've admitted, I need help. And so you need the doctor, you need the medicine. If we were perfectly healthy, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't need Christ. If we had perfectly kept God's law, we wouldn't be in the predicament we're in. We wouldn't be in a body that's dying. And so we come here, we're all imperfect. Uh, we're, we're all dying. Uh, we all make mistakes. We all fall short. The great physician is Jesus. He's the one with the medicine. Uh, he's the one with the, the ability to heal. He's the one that, that has offered his perfect life up as a sacrifice for us. He's the one that's made it possible so that although we all have problems, we're not perfect fathers, we're not perfect mothers, we're not perfect mates, we're not perfect parents, we're not perfect anything. We know that. Uh, and, and there's just nothing that we're perfect at. We know it. So we have said that, Lord, we're just simply not hacking it on our own. And not only, not only not perfect, that we walk around with our conscience and it you know, it really gets on us because we, we, so we just don't live up to what we know is right. 
And so we come in here as people that are burdened with a heavy conscience because we, we don't live up to what we know is right. We come in with all the baggage of problems because we live in a sinful world and we are a sinful people. And, and we come to worship Christ because he loved us so much that he gave his life as a sacrifice for our sins. We come to partake of the Lord's Supper because we, we don't want to forget for one moment. We want to remind ourselves regularly that Jesus gave his body for us. He shed his blood for us. We didn't deserve it. And we want to make sure uh, that we don't forget it at all. I remember when my stepfather died uh, sometime back, and, and Mom, you know, she likes to, to go to the grave and, and just stand out there and think. And, of course, any time that she does, or if we take her, you know, she always cries, and, and she uh, what's coming up is memories. And she mentioned about some in the family not wanting to take her because it, she brings up all of the feelings and, and then she was every time. And it was like she thought they was trying to convince her that, you know, that let that be the past. And, and she was something she didn't want, she wanted to remember. And I let her know right away, there is absolutely nothing wrong that you loved him, you had a good relationship, you had a good marriage, he was a good father, and he was a good husband. And he, he deserves to be remembered. Uh, and, and when my mother dies, I don't want to just park her in a grave and forget about her. She deserves to be remembered. And so we don't, we do this regularly because we don't want to forget. We know how our minds operate, that we can leave something for a period of time and get involved and other things occupy our mind. And so we regularly want to kindle afresh that memory in our mind and so every first of the week we gather here, there was a day he was crucified on, and, and we, we bring to our memory, we sing songs uh, to bring that to our memory. And we try to pick out songs that touch both our intellect and our feelings. In fact, this is the beauty of music over preaching. Uh, I believe song is the, the perfect medium for blending both emotion and intellect together. Uh, and so we, we sing songs, uh, we we read materials, we, we do things to call our memory to that. But the worship, if we, if we really understand it, ought to center entirely around Jesus. And everybody that comes into the door as a visitor ought to know, we're not here selling a perfect group of people. We're not telling you that you can come in and enter into a fellowship with us and, and you're never going to get your feelings hurt or somebody's not going to offend you in some way or somebody's not going to act wrong or do something wrong. It, it could very well happen. And if you stay long enough, it will happen. What we're selling is, is Christ. He's the perfect. We're here to worship Him. We, we want to be good. We're just not. But the reason we're here is not because we're perfect. It's because we, we honestly, even though we fall short, we believe it's right intellectually. We're not like the, we're, the, there's a big difference between us and those that are not worshiping Christ there's two types of sinners. John makes this very clear in his writing, doesn't he? Speaking of there is a sin unto death and there's another sin that is not unto death. You can pray for one and not the other. There is a difference between a person walking through life who doesn't respect God's law and just continues to willfully sin and refuses to repent of it. 
There's a big difference in God's eyes between that and a person who's walking through life, who does sin, who does fall short, but he really believes that God's way is right, he's striving for it, and he's always confessing his sins and always repenting. And that's us. So we want to tell people, no, we're not perfect. Don't come here looking for perfection. But we acknowledge we are sinners. We acknowledge we do fall short. We acknowledge we do need to confess our sins. We acknowledge we, we do need to repent. And the reason we come here and the reason we can be happy and rejoice and have a good conscience is because of Jesus. And so our specific reason, number one reason for coming here is to worship him, to remember the things that he has done and is doing for us, and to learn as much about him and his way as, as we possibly can, and then to go out, and as we go, although we talk about a lot of laws and commandments and all, what helps put all of this together for us and something they never had under the law of Moses is that Jesus perfectly lived all those laws. And so when we go out there, he's our idol. I mean, some people want to idolize Mike Jordan, that's fine. You know, I like to watch him play basketball, but Jesus is, is the idol. There is something there that, that comes across when we go to individuals, and we're interested in them because uh, they have a soul, they're made an image of God, and we want them in Christ also. Let me suggest to you that we need to develop a new way of talking to people that's contrary to what we've been used to. We need to learn to talk to people about Christ. We, we need to learn to talk to people and tell them what Jesus has done for us and how much he means to us. We, we need to learn to express the fact that it feels good to have a good conscience and to not feel guilty even though we make mistakes because of Jesus and, and what we can have in him. We, we need to talk about all the things that they or anybody else, and he's the perfect idol. He's the perfect thing that you want before your husband or wife or child or whoever it is for them to emulate in their life, and the whole world is going to be better to the extent that we emulate that one individual. But what we're selling is Christ. And when we use the term church of Christ or church of God or Christian, the emphasis is on Christ. We mean it in the sense as a people who belong to and worship Christ. A, a people that belong to and worship the God who gave his son for us. Uh, a people that wear the name Christian with the emphasis not on the I-A-N, but the C-H-R-I-S-T. Uh, that we are people that are striving to, uh, to emulate him in our life. It's no accident, I don't believe, that there is one particular group uh, among the, the Protestant groups that I disagree with on some particular doctrinal points. I don't believe in some areas uh, that they're anywhere near as precise as, as we are in some of these doctrinal matters. And yet this particular group numbers over 15 million in just the United States. Okay? We about 2 million. They used to say 3 million 15 years ago, and the, all the, 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 the people I've listened to and read from and all said that's an exaggeration. It's about 2 million. And it's been stuck there for years. Why, I ask myself. Why? And some of these others that are wrong and all that, why? Somebody says, well, that particular group, they, they make it easier. Well, 
the particular group that I mentioned that numbers 15 million, they demand that you repent. They demand that you believe. They demand that you confess. And they will not fellowship you if you haven't been immersed. Will not fellowship you if you haven't been immersed. To be a deacon in this group, you, you have to give at least 10% of your income. On a per capita basis, they actually contribute more than we do. Uh, they support missionaries. They do various things. And so these particular doctrines that I think they're wrong on, these, whether it's something called premillennialism or something called eternal security or once saved, always saved, or total depravity, all three of which I personally believe are, are wrong without any reservation. I believe they're wrong. And I look at that and I think, how can they, they do the other? And, I, and so I look at it. They don't demand less. I honestly believe that among the various Protestant groups, that this particular group has done a very good job of emphasizing Jesus and a personal relationship with him. Jesus is appealing. And I think that to the extent, there are some groups that when I think of them, I don't even think of Jesus. I think of the Holy Spirit gifts. I mean, there are some groups that you think of, and you don't think of Jesus. You may know any, uh, you, you think of, all they talk about is the gifts. There are other groups that you think about, and you think about keeping a particular day or not eating certain foods. There are other groups that you think about, and, and you think of wearing black or driving around in a black car and, and not having any fun whatsoever or, or something else. That's what comes to your mind. We need to strive and, and to be as accurate as we can. And we need to uphold every piece of, of letter that we have on, on the way God has asked us to do anything. But man, I would love for us to, to reach a point where we are known in the community because of our belief in Jesus as the Son of God, our striving to emulate Him in our lives, and as a people that talk about Him and our relationship to Him, and that when we approach people, the emphasis is on Him. He is the Son of God. We may never nail it down perfectly. We'll always be striving for it. But the emphasis is there. And as we've noted on Wednesday night and going through our study of the book of Acts, those people argued and fussed about various things within the body, from circumcision to the eating of meats and several other things. But man, it's like that despite all of that, they had one focus. They kept converting people, and that was Jesus, his death and his burial and his resurrection. In our United States, we've got many differences. Right? Some of us lean towards the Republican philosophy, some towards the Democratic philosophy. Um, some of us believe in things that other of us believe are absolutely immoral. And we fuss and we fight and we argue. But yet we hang together. We, we are the envy of every nation on the face of the earth. Everybody wants to come to America. You see, there's one thing that whether we're Republican or Democrat, or Hispanic or black or white, there's one thing that we all have in common. We believe in freedom. One nation under God, 
liberty, justice for all. Give me freedom or give me death. That was the, the ring of Patrick Henry that caught on uh, at the time of the Revolutionary War. Our country was born with the concept of freedom. The song that uh, is sung by, was it Greenwood? Right. When he talks about America, one thing he knows, and that he's free. You know, we may fuss and fight and shoot at one another and everything like that, but we are free to think for ourselves. Uh, we can be a Christian or a Muslim or a, or a Mormon or a Hindu or whatever we want uh, in this country. We can be a Republican or a Democrat or a Communist if we want to. Or we can be a member of the Ku Klux Klan or the Black Panthers. And so the one thing we all have in, with all our differences, is this idea of freedom. And freedom is what is called on in the world. The, the, what the world desires out there is not to come and live on this particular holy land. It's not holy. They want our freedom. That's what they want. And then we believe that that, that concept is so important that with freedom you get the best out of everybody. We believe that economically and socially and all that in a free situation, the cream rises to the top. As Christians... We ought to love it because if you've got the truth and people have the freedom to choose and think for themselves, there's no question the cream is going to rise to the top. Christianity thrives in a situation where people have freedom. Okay. I said all that simply to say this. The church of the first century with its various problems and all, the one thing they had that was so appealing to the Jew that they couldn't reach and became converted they were so appealing to the pagan out there. They had Jesus. God become man. God who created us in his own image. Takes it upon himself to come to this earth and live in human flesh. It staggers the mind. We take it for granted because we've heard it ever since childhood. But think about that. The, the heavens are declaring the glory of God and the firmament is handiwork. Our great God that created the entire cosmos, all of the universe... Our great God that created our bodies made a decision to come to earth and put himself in human flesh. And in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we get a look at what God is in human flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word become flesh and dwelt among us. And there's just nothing out in all the world in any religion or anything else that even compares with that concept. And then after living this absolutely perfect life, demonstrating compassion and kindness and mercy and, and all of the qualities that deep down we know are right, even though we don't practice it to its fullest, he loves us so much that he gives himself as a sacrifice for our sins. God raises him from the dead, baffles the Roman army, baffles the Jews, surrounds the event with enough evidence to choke the intelligence of any honest person. It'll overwhelm your mind when you look at all the evidence that God surrounds it with. In fact, it's so strong you wind up saying, what could God do but hit us in the head with a two-before? Uh, the evidence is that overwhelming. And so there it is, and he said, here is, here is the sacrifice, here is the perfect life. This is the way I want you to leave. Man, people over the years bogged down in all kinds of little old legal fights and arguments and and yet it's so simple in a way that, that there's the example 
Jesus that we all agree on. I suggest to you that if we're going to, you're going to reach people, if we are, uh, then we, we need to, uh, to hold out the best thing we've got going for us, and that is, that is Christ. Uh, you put your best foot forward, that's Christ. What's appealing to the minds of people is, is Jesus. And I think to the extent, and I think we need to work on our conversation, because we're too used to talking in terms of the church that's got it nailed down. We're too used to inviting people. We don't go up and say, hey, I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Have you ever considered Jesus? I'd like to talk to you. Would you like to sit down and, and examine with me the evidences for his resurrection? Uh, would you like to be able to have peace of mind and not feel any guilt? Uh, uh, we're not used to doing that. We're used to saying, would you like to go to church? You need to be in church. Well, we don't believe in Jesus. He's wasting his time in, in, in being in church. And, and the church is not going to do a whole lot for him uh, without, without Christ. I think what we ought to be doing, and I believe maybe there's a reason we don't get into that. It's a, we, we've got a past that's staked in a certain way. And when you talk about Christ to an individual, you have to get pretty personal. And I think it's difficult with our background to, to simply get that personal. Uh, that it, it's far easier and more reserved and more dignified and more love uh, to just simply invite people to the church or talk about how right we are uh, on some point. But I suggest to you to think about it in your own relationship. Uh, I think that uh, to the extent that you base your relationship on Christ, to the extent you to apprehend that, that great truth of Christ living and dying for you, to that extent you're going to experience Christianity to its fullest. You're going to be more successful in reaching others. To the extent that our worship revolves around Jesus, and I mean really revolves. We talk about having enthusiasm. I don't know about you, but it, it's hard for me to get enthused about the fact. I'm glad that we want to do things in the right way. Um, I'm not going to drag any piano in here. And, and I'm, I'm not going to change the organization or anything like that. But there's nothing about that that just really enthuses me one way or the other. Uh, what I can get enthusiastic over uh, is, is the information concerning Christ. When it comes to your own study, uh, we have talked about archaeology and history and science and all the various evidences for the Bible, and that's fine, and, and we need to, and, and it's the man I'll study it uh, until the day I die and, and teach it. But man, it's, it, you know, it's, it's almost too much for any one person to learn. Uh, John Clayton, uh, I can't do what I do in my realm and, and know as much as he does in his realm. And he can't know as much as he does in his realm and, and get over in some of the realms that, that some of us are in. We're limited. The one thing we can all nail down is Christ. If you can prove Jesus, if you can prove his resurrection in the same process, you'll prove the inspiration of the Bible. Everything else is gravy. Every archaeological discovery, everything from the Dead Sea Scrolls, every new thing, it's just gravy, and it's faith-building material, and it's interesting, and it helps our understanding, but it's gravy. If we nail down Jesus, uh, we nail down eternal life, we nail down the inspiration of the Bible, we nail down the remission of our sins, we nail down the perfect example, we nail down our worship in the, the way that it would center. And if we've got anything to offer to any sick person out there, it's Christ. And I think when we visit people, whether it's, whether it's in the funeral home or in the hospital, uh, what we ought to be talking about is not just, I'd like to have you come to church, but we need to get right into the nitty-gritty and, and talk to them about what's really meaningful, and that is Christ. And I think if we do that, 
uh, everything else is going to fall into place. Let's conclude our study for this afternoon. If there's anyone among us that in, in any way is subject to the, the good news of salvation in Jesus, I don't care how many mistakes that we make in life or what you've done or, or haven't done, uh, the beauty of Christianity is that God continues to love you. Jesus died for you. And you can be in a relationship with God where because of Christ you're perfectly blameless. You have the remission of your sins. Uh, you can know you're going to heaven when you die. And, and you can live and be a part of the organization that's doing more for the world than anything in the world. I mean, what in the world out there is being done that even compares uh, with the opportunity that we have to take Jesus and and the salvation that people can have in him. And when it comes to our own children or anything, there's just nothing better you can do for that child. I don't care how good he is in ball or school or anything else. Uh, if he misses Jesus, he's missed it all. And if we as parents miss that, we've missed it, so far as our children is concerned or anybody else. Anybody that's subject in any way and desires to respond, we give you the opportunity as together we stand and sing.